0: pastor uh, to working three jobs and then to having uh, to make decision as to which one was the best one that would suit the purpose God has placed upon me because there's this call in my life that trumps everything else. It trumps where I get to work. It trumps how I live my life. It trumps everything, right? And so I would have to make like the best decision I could to suit the purpose that God had placed on me. And there was a change in ministry too. See, I had worked uh, 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 pr- predominantly I had uh, worked hard to be called an Assembly of God minister. I spent a few years basically studying a ton of books to study to show myself approved according to their requirements, and that also uh, came to change as God was calling me out of that uh, and into something else, uh, which was very different for me. I would worked so hard to get there. It was very intense for me, and there also came a time uh, in the past two years of launching the, this mission, uh, which if you don't know what it is, it is advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, by returning to the Lord. Now, there's a lot of things that entails, uh, but when anytime somebody asks me what's my true purpose, my true purpose is to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're like, well, Pastor Jim, that's everybody's purpose. Yeah, but how I do it is is a little bit different or what makes the call of God in me uh, different as I believe in that the only way we're going to advance the gospel is by returning to the Lord. Return is the word used in the Old Testament. The New Testament uses the word repent. The New Testament uses the word repent. So there's this, this uh, piece of me that this is part. This is what I am working hard to break down. Uh, uh, what does it look like? I'm trying to break down some things that are unbiblical in the church in search of what's been missing in the church. And it's been different and honestly foreign territory uh, for me. God has challenged me in ways that I never have to be challenged. I mean, honestly, if I, if I wasn't so hungry for revival and to see people uh, know Jesus, uh, I'm not sure how long I'd last in this deal. And ultimately, you know, the one question God keeps like over and over asking me in this whole journey is, do I trust him? This is the hardest thing I've ever had. Like that should like pass. Well, you're a pastor. Of course, you trust God. That's not true. That's not true. I, I, I struggle with that just like anybody else. Uh, By the way, if you've ever had anxiety, I love the one. I don't know who ever said it, but it was right. They said anxiety is temporary atheism. Anxiety is, well, I'm worried about finances. I'm worried about bills. Why don't you trust God? Well, you know what I do? And then sometimes I don't. It's just that there's this struggle there, right? There were a couple of questions that I faced during that time of transition in my life. The first thing I had to ask myself is, do I trust God first and foremost with my finances? Now, when I left a full-time ministry position, guess what also left with it? The full-time check. Guys, if you've got a full-time check, how awesome is it to get a check every time, right? Like, you can count on that. You know what? Just direct deposit that sucker on the in. I don't even got to see the paper. I just need to know that it's going to be there every 1st and 15th. Amen? Right? And so, uh, in any other job, um, I would just work until I found another job. I mean, in any other type of thing I would do, come on, man, <clears throat> any advice I promise you that I'm giving you would be always, if you've got a job you don't like, go find you another one. But don't be dumb. Don't leave one job before you go to the other. I would tell you that. But unfortunately for me, and I'm not trying to judge anyone else, my principles and ethics don't allow me to look around for another church or anything else uh, while I was working at a church. Something weird about that to me when it comes to churches. Um, It felt like trying to date while I'm married. Just being honest, all right? You don't date while you're married if you don't know that. That's like a bad principle. If you're married, you shouldn't be dating anything else or anyone. It's just like a bad principle. Uh, um, That is kind of a big marriage rule. Working for a church and receiving a portion of the tithe money as a supplement to live off of might have a biblical foundation, but it also comes with biblical obligations, I hope you're hearing me when I say that. There might be foundation for receiving a check, but there are also ethical and principled obligations for taking the check. And these obligations don't include me I'm looking around for something better. Just don't. I don't get the luxury. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's not normal in the pastor world. Pastors do the same thing they teach their people. They will totally not tell you that they are shopping their application around. Make no mistake about that. So for me, I was kind of the anomaly in that. End. But I can't see the end of the way. If I'm faithful and loyal to you, I don't shop around for somebody else to be faithful and loyal to you. That's not what faithful and loyalty is about. So for me, I'm not trying to judge the pastors out there that do this. I'm just stating for me, this is, this is something to me I can't live with ethically and principally. So the church uh, in that moment was always plan A. And after giving my resignation, plan B went into effect. Plan B involves simply trusting God with my finances. And I've got no choice at that moment, right, because I don't have a paycheck coming in. i just got to trust God that God is going to take care of me he's going to take care of my family because he's faithful he is who he says he is when I look at scripture and it says that God is faithful I am trying to take it on base value that God is what he says he is and so that's when when they talk about that stepping out in faith I have stepped out now completely in faith I had removed that paycheck from my life I am completely void of an employment uh, uh, whatsoever and not receiving anything. But I promise you, uh, PEC still wants to get paid. Uh, uh, the water still wants to get paid. All the people that work for them, they get their money because they get paid. Right? So I mean like the cycle goes on. It's all good. I'm just saying that those things don't end. Right? We all know this. Bills keep coming no matter how much our life is in shambles. They just keep coming. So I had to trust God. Plan B is just to simply trust God. And it sounds easier than it is. I had to trust God at whatever he wanted next would simply just take place. I had no direction, but I had to trust God with that. I had no paycheck, but I had to trust God with that. I didn't know what I was supposed to do next, but I had to trust God with that. Life seems so chaotic, and yet in that moment that I know I'm supposed to trust him with it all, just like I preach, I do. I have to. Like, I just spent all this time at this one church in this city telling you, like, you need to have faith in God. Well, now it's my turn to live it. Pastor, you got faith in God? It's it's funny how when that shoe starts to be on your foot, right? So I had to trust God with it. Pretty soon a job came to work uh, there at the YMCA. Took it. It paid nothing. I mean, it paid something. Don't get me wrong. Definitely just not enough to make ends meet. But then another job came. The Picayune called me and asked me to come to work there. Some of you already know this. And they definitely paid more. But it was part-time at first. And I also got the opportunity to teach at Faith Academy at that time, too. I then let go of the YMCA job to balance working at the paper and working as a teacher to only go back to three jobs when Hidden Falls Adventure Park came asking me and said, hey, we would like to generally hire you and started there kind of part-time. And there for about six to eight months... While we were trying to do this thing on Wednesdays and Sundays, I was working three jobs while doing this. So I went from stepping out into faith to having way too much, literally. Now, this is walking in faith. You want to know what I believe in God? You want to know what I think? Come on, look at the God who's pouring it out. I had, more, I had people like come to me, like the Hidden Falls job came to me, the Picayune job came to me. I didn't go look at those things. Those weren't applications that I put in hoping for a phone call. Those were jobs that knew my ethics and knew my principles and knew who I was personally. So those guys that hired me aren't guys that went to church with me. That my reputation as a pastor, my reputation as an ethics and everything else had carried to a certain place where they had heard of me and said, man, we want to hire somebody of character. And I got the opportunity to be there in some of those places. And so it was awesome, right? There's this, everything was very generous. This, God was taking care of me financially. I was working like a crazy person, trying to balance preaching and trying to balance three jobs at the same time. I eventually would go on to be full-time at Hidden Falls, who would engineer my schedule to work in such a way where I'm off three days a week and only work four. And one of those is funny because Wednesdays that I work, there's nobody at the park. We're closed. So I end up doing just a small amount of paperwork. I work less than 40 hours a week, but they offer me a 40 hour week job. They pay me a salary. That's the blessing of God. I'm not saying it always works out easy because it wasn't easy to get there. They didn't offer that to me in the beginning. That's not something I had to earn that. I had to earn that. The second thing I had to ask myself is, do I trust God now with my life and with my family? These are the things that came out of this, right? We moved to Marble Falls, and it took faith. We took a significant pay cut to come here and move to a place where the cost of living Was ridiculous compared to what I was living to. I paid about eight or nine hundred a month for my house payment there to live in a 2,000 square foot home to come down here in the same year and pay the same money for my house payment and live in a 1,200 square foot home and was told I was lucky I could find 1,200 square feet for that money. I was like, what? Man, all you guys should move or you could own twice as much and work half as much. The fact that you live down here, like, you have to know that you're taking in the scenery as part of your paycheck. I hope you understand that part. I had a a teacher ask me one time, well, we've been working here for so long, we're looking for X amount of dollars in our paycheck when I was looking at running for school board. And she didn't like my answer because that was part of my answer. Well, you're getting it. It's called you get to live in Marble Falls. Welcome to the rest of us, you know. (laughs) Welcome to being just like us, flesh and blood. I didn't get voted as school board. can't imagine. Right. So we took it by faith. Right. And this means, that, uh, uh, you know, all this deal with the money, you know, either either way, none of that mattered. Because one thing we did know in moving to Marble Falls, is that we were right where we were supposed to be. My kids immediately started attending public school for the first time and they were prospering. Things seemed really good until about 10 months later when the senior pastor who hired me in to be an associate pastor said, hey, I'm leaving. And if you want to go, you can, too. And I'm going to tell you, when you just moved to a place and you've only met people for about eight months, you don't know anybody. And the only guy that you do know that was like, I got your back, is like, dude, I'm on the run. Do you want to run with me? And I go, no, I don't think so. I think God has called us here. God moved us here for a purpose. God moved us here for a reason. Come on. And so we we, we felt compelled in that way. We felt compelled to... to um, to to continue to press on and push in, and we, we felt compelled to stay, and it was good, right? Eventually, within like a few months, we 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 kind of ha- you know kind of hung out and and uh, enjoyed the time, but but it, a few months later, they end up hiring a guy that would he would move down, and as he moved down, the deacon board said, "Hey, we would like if he just did student ministry, and for the next five years, I would do youth ministry here in Marble Falls." And when God said that we were done, we resigned immediately, and I didn't look for another church. I didn't go preach uh, at other places because I'm the guy that dances with the girl I brought. I don't shop around, so I had nothing, right? My family now looked for me to lead. My kids were looking at, like, what's Dad going to do right now in this moment now, right? Because here's the part where I've been preaching it. Now Dad's got to live it. i got to be the guy who's going to, like, live, live out his faith in front of my kids. Other people are looking at me at this point. Let's see what he's going to do, Right? And, and I'm telling you right now, uh, maybe the greatest thing that happened in that transition is that my kids saw many of you come alongside us and be the voice of Jesus in that moment. By the way, if I haven't said thank you for that, and you know who you are, thank you. Thank um, Many of you reminded us that we could trust God in that moment. There was just so much encouragement in that moment from so many people, not just in here, but in other churches here, even locally, other churches and even in local businesses here that have never come for me to preach, that have never come, but have just trusted me with their kids over the years. I literally... I always thought it was ironic. I had a lot of I had people from time to time that are very active, engaged in the in the in the Baptist church up here, but would never send their kids to like youth camp with them. and send them with me. And I always thought, man, that's a privilege. <laughs> that's such a privilege where somebody goes to another church, but they trust their kid over here. You know, it's just. Uh, uh, I'm so thankful for some of that. And, and some of that, man, it really helped my heart in that time. And my heart only found itself uh, strengthened and reassured in the provisions of God, right? Because what God was doing, right? So in searching for what to do next, I found myself on an even greater adventure, which is this right here, right? And this adventure would lead me to do things that I've always wanted to try, like I've always thought about church but never really tried. So all the time when I was in pastoral ministry, I was like, why do we do this? This is dumb. And when I would ask why we do this, they'd go, Because we've always done it that way. Why do you get mad when everybody else wants to do it always that way? When the whole older generation says, well, we've always done it that way, you go, well, we got to do this new ways. Well, why do we do stuff the way we do? I'm pretty sure I've never seen a service order in the Bible. I'm pretty sure I've never seen a time limit on worship. I've never seen a service and worship and preaching are always together. There's nothing to merit any of the stuff that we do today. But when you ask why stuff is, they get mad because they don't know either. They just do what they've always done or whatever somebody else is teaching. Nobody ever asks why. It's a weird thing, right? And the coolest thing about this whole adventure that this body right here, you that are here listening right now, man, you're on this adventure with me, man. You're a product of that adventure, that whole journey. So trusting God, it hadn't been easy. Matter of fact, it may be the hardest thing I ever do in life. And it's not because God is untrustworthy. No, it's because of my limitations, my short-sightedness, my lack of faith. Still, this is what God has called me to do. I don't. People ask me, well, man, where do you see yourself in 10 years? I said, man, hopefully still doing the same stuff. And I, I love what we get to do now. People ask me, well, how's it going? It's awesome. Well, how big are you? What's that have to do with how awesome it is? Well, I mean, when pastors talk, it's funny of what they clarify how great something is. What is good? And that's a whole different definition. That's subjective. But to me... I'm giving to live out the purpose of God in my life. I can't imagine a greater thing for anybody to do. Uh, I would do this no matter what, no matter what. And I'll do this forever, right? And this leads us into our text today. If you've got your Bibles, we're, we're headed into Mark chapter 4. We're going to close out the chapter today. I didn't, like I said, I wasn't giving you the baseline story to just get up here and talk about myself, but if I didn't talk about some of the things that I lived through, so as I begin to share the text this morning, you can see where I'm coming from. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. If you've got a paper Bible, awesome. If you've got a digital one, awesome. Mark chapter 4, verses 35, and I'll read to 41. Say amen if you're there. Amen. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there's this great, there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. And most of us know this story. Uh, It's a miraculous story, no doubt about it. Jesus uh, is always about his purpose. His purpose has driven him now. Uh, To travel by boat. He leaves the crowds at the shore. He sets off. It's interesting how many times Jesus leaves crowds behind. And I think I could like do a whole sermonette about Jesus always leaving the crowd to go be intimate with the few. Uh, But that's not that'll be for another Time maybe uh, the Bible says that other people who had boats they followed along, so they're not alone out there in the water. Somewhere lurking nearby are those who basically want to hear anything else he has to say, uh, and there are those that Jesus uh, has so significantly um, uh, changed that they're willing to pick up and just go wherever he goes right i mean they hear his word and be like whatever i got to do to keep listening i'm going to do it if it means i got to follow him in a boat at a distance that's what i'm going to do and this part of the story always sounds wonderful to me it kind of gives you a good feeling and if we just stop here we're made to feel as if everything about following jesus is going to be easy if we just look at the beginning like hey launches out in the boat and everybody else follows, period wipe away the rest oh that feels so good we could just follow jesus and everything's going to be good we can just set sail into the sunset, it's going to be an awesome time following Jesus, but it, it's just not the way it is, right? Uh, it isn't the end of the story either. The Bible says high waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. I'm pretty sure that water is supposed to be under the boat. I'm not a big boat guy, not a big fish. I mean, like I fished from the shore a lot. I fished a, a little bit from a boat, but well, I'm pretty sure water goes under the boat, not in it. Just, just saying, because I'm, I'm not the expert, but, that, but the storm comes up on them fast, right? The wind and the rain quickly sets forth ripples that have turned into waves. The waves now threaten now to sink the boat because the boat didn't build the hold water. It's built to sit above it. The same as with the church. The church isn't meant to take on huge waves of the world inside it. It's meant to rise above it. Now, i got a few things we're going to grab out of this, and this is one of them. Do you think it's a coincidence that as the waves came into the boat, their their faith began to waver? Do you think it's a coincidence that as more waves of the world crash into the church, that the faith of the church has started to waver also? After coming back this week and listening to a man who felt as if he needed to address the culture constantly in his church, I felt such pity for him. Chasing the heart of men is futile. The hearts of men are like the wind. They always are changing direction. However, the gospel is changed to the cornerstone. And the Bible is clear about who the cornerstone is. It's immovable it never changes. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes, the wind and rain will come. Yes, the waves will crash against the sides of the boat or the church, but the one resounding truth is that God is greater and that his faithfulness is true. However, like all storms, they have a way of revealing where our heart is spiritually. For the disciples, this is like a full-on panic moment. They woke up Uh, Jesus, and they're yelling and screaming about how they're going to die, even accusing him of not caring about their well-being. Funny how that storm uh, uh, worked all that out, isn't it? It revealed what they were really made of. They went from Jesus is awesome, Jesus is uh, uh, wonderful, Jesus is just so awesome, to all of a sudden Jesus is awful. I mean, it went from awesome to awful that quick. Like, I can't believe we get to be in the boat with this guy. Does This dude don't even care about us. That's some weird stuff going on right there. As soon as it got bad, it's God. When it's good, oh, it's God. When it's bad, it's God. And that's how we are. I mean, I think it reveals some, some ugly things about us, right? And before you judge them, because I, 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 I think we do, I don't think we're better. I, had, I have this conversation with my wife often about trusting God. Her response is always the same. I'm the worst. I'm like, just trust God. You're like, you know, when we went through the financial issue with the job, trust God. It's hard to trust God when those bills keep pouring blah. blah, 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 blah. Which, by the way, I'm thinking like that's in my heart. I got to lead, right? I got to lead that moment, right? She's like, I'm the worst. I try to encourage her, but she like strongly identifies with the disciples. She always responds. And by the way, with consistency, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I know that the Lord is faithful. But I sometimes think that he's not. I know that I can trust the Lord, but sometimes I feel that I can't. I know that he always will be there, but sometimes I think he's absent. I believe, help my unbelief. She's so right on, right? The internal struggle within her to get her eyes off the natural and focus entirely on him is a struggle that, listen, we both share. She's just better at being vocal about it. I don't think I'm alone here either. I'm pretty sure that all of us experience a storm in our life that reveals our lack of faith. And trust in the one who can create or destroy a storm. After all, was Jesus worried? The Bible records he was asleep. <laughs> it doesn't stop there. It says, not just was he asleep, he was asleep. Some translations say a pillow <laughs> or a cushion. Jesus isn't just sleeping, he's sleeping comfortable in the middle of the wind and waves now there's a picture, right? Can you picture your disciples all panicking and all the other boats around them panicking? And in the midst of chaos, there's Jesus on his posturpedic mattress. He's like stressed out, hands behind his back. He's like, this is the good life, right? So I don't know who's rocking me to sleep, but it's awesome. Thank you. I mean, that wind noise, I don't know about you, but I got a fan app for when we don't have wind noise at my house, or say if we we went to the uh, hotel this past week, right, I pulled out my phone and I got this wind app, and it turns this fan on, and it's so loud, but it sounds just like the fan in our house, it's awesome, by the way, I love it, I love it, I could probably just throw it in the earbuds and just walk around all day, it's just awesome. It's just the sound of a fan, but that white noise alone puts me to sleep. All I can see is Jesus with his hands behind his head going, man, that wind noise is awesome, and I'm being rocked, and it's so great. This is such the best sleep of my life, right? He's so comfortable, but you know what? I don't think it is the pillow. I know Jesus trusted the Father, and I know Jesus prayed, and I think those things are two closely related things. Have you ever noticed that when something happens you've been praying for, It's simply an answer to prayer. And when something happens that you haven't prayed for, it's called a miracle. Isn't that weird? We're funny Christians. Christians are funny things, man. I don't know if you ever really like pay attention. You know how comedians are? You ever notice that comedians comedian takes the most mundane things? They could talk about an apple for 30 minutes and make us laugh hysterically over a dumb apple. They see things that we just don't see, and they they think it's funny. And I think that if we really watched enough, if we paid attention enough, we'd see how funny we are. When we pray about an issue, it's just God answering our prayers. And when we don't pray, it must be a miracle. That's funny to me. That I think out of our own mouth we speak the truth and don't even realize the truth we speak. Maybe instead of if, if every time we pray and God answers prayer, maybe we should pray some more. Maybe we should be a people of prayer. Can't imagine. What if his house was a house of prayer? Somebody said that before. I don't know who. It's funny how it works. Jesus gets up like a man who's been woke up from a good sleep. Come on now. Like, again, I look into this. I'm picturing in my head. it, It reminded me like of waking up my dad, you know, like when he done ready to get woke up, because we see this and we see this moment where like, I'm sure we've seen the painting and Jesus steps out on the bow and he's like, peace, be still. And it's this like, I picture, it like, I don't know, but we, we're supposed to call Jesus, like, you know, one of the things that he created was the term Father, where we could address God as Abba, right? And I don't know about you, but you wake my dad up, he ain't going to be like, peace be still. He'd be like, shut up! <laughs> Silence! <laughs> I mean, can you imagine, like, you just woke up, you've been sleeping on a pillow, somebody's been rocking you, it's nice out, I mean, you got that fan noise going on from the wind just blowing back and forth, and all of a sudden they just wake you up from your nice sleep, so when they say silence by the way I don't know if you noticed but and when it says silence be still did you notice that there's exclamation points in your bible they're there right after silence so it's not like he said silence it was silence be still I mean I can almost hear my dad want to say at the back end of that don't you ever wake me up again boy I better not ever have to come back out here I was laying I was you know how good I was sleeping Maybe because I'm married to my wife. My wife loves sleep. If I, if I guarantee you, if something crazy was going on, I woke up my wife, I promise you she will stop a storm. So I don't know if you can picture this, but I can't help see this thing like a child, right? The wind and waves act like a scolded child, right, that just gets a spanking and they quickly leave. Come on. I mean, it's like dad just yelled at the wind and the waves, man. I said, be done, son. <laughs> and they're done. They stop. Everything ends, right? Is it any wonder why C.S. Lewis would write about a world where the water, wind, and trees, and animals would all respond to whatever God says? I mean, there are scenes, if you've seen any of the Narnia movies, uh, uh, and if you've read the books, they're really good, where there's times where Aslan, who's supposed to be Jesus the lion, right, actually calls out and roars, and the water does whatever he says for it to do. The trees come alive. They do whatever he says. So is it any wonder at looking at a scene like this that this would be hard to believe? Come on, C.S. Lewis, he just took it straight from the Bible. I've seen my kids wake up my wife. You know what I see. I'd see them running out of the bedroom for their life. They wake up Jesus and Jesus just yells at the storm to go away. And the crazy thing is, is that it just does. The irony is, is that they're all amazed. No matter how many miracles you see, I think everyone is amazing. And listen, everyone is amazing. And obviously it would seem that no matter how many times you experience a miracle, whether personally or visually, it still seems Unbelievable. Like, I've seen this guy heal people that were blind since they've been, you know, and then all of a sudden this guy just stopped the wind and the waves. Like, was there a limitation on miracles? Miracles are supposed to be impossible in the first place. But it's funny to me how we're amazed every single time we see one. Every single time we see the impossible become possible, we, 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 we lose ourselves there. They literally look dumbfounded over there to, to Jesus because what does he turn around and say? Why are you so afraid? Bro, you just like yelled at the wind and it stopped. All right. And then he says, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Which is an interesting choice of words happening in the Greek here. It sounds so simple. Don't you have any faith? But the word afraid is the same word to describe the cowardice of those who, in the end times, it's the same word used uh, to let go. They talked about to let go of their Christianity for the sake of keeping their own lives. It's almost as if it's in the cowards. This is the walk, man. What are you afraid of? This is the walk. And so it talks about bowing under the pressure of the culture not to follow Jesus. This whole cowardice thing is. And the fear of what people will think and with what might happen to them will cause them to step back when it gets difficult to follow. This is a really good word excuse me for the time that this is in like I said uh, earlier storms have a way of revealing our character when things get tough are you going to become the cliche will you get going or are you going to stay the course will you run or will you hold your ground what kind of person are you do you know what crucible of life has taught you these things the things that you do know Storms are awful things that sometimes have awful consequences. Nevertheless, there's actually some good things in there, too. It's hard to say that, but it's true. Do You know, the Weather Channel a few years back released a list of five things that storms, specifically hurricanes, do that are actually helpful. I mean, five little quick things that they do. First of all, they bring rainfall to areas that need it. Now, yes, they bring also flooding to areas that didn't need any more water. But areas that were in drought... All of a sudden, are not. They also break up bacteria and something they call the red tide, especially down by our coast, right? Where because they turn stuff over in the ocean, it allows all the bacteria to break up and get out of there. It destroys and moves and relocates a lot of the red tide so foliage can grow up and bring more fish inside. It basically restores our, uh, uh, the bottom of the ocean a little bit. It provide a global heat balance, man. It shifts the waters where if any waters are warm at the polar caps, it pushes them inward, actually. The the hurricanes do. It sucks them into the places that are warm to pull out the warm water out of the places that need to be cold. They replenish barrier islands. Storms have the uh, uh, power to pick up substantial amounts of sands and nutrients and sediments and all of these things across the ocean's bottom. And, and yeah, while the island looks wrecked, it's also actually it's added to it a little bit, more than you think taken away. Um, they replenish inland plant life. Cool thing here is that as storms make landfall, their wind blows seeds and spores further inland so places that are struggling to grow things, it blows seed into those places along with the water that plant and puts plants in places they've never been before. It's, it's pretty neat, actually. There's no doubt, listen, that both physical storms and spiritual storms have purpose, guys. For the, for the earth, there is a significant amount of replenishing going on as well as destruction. And the same goes for storms spiritually, In the storm, we might experience loss, a lack of faith, a lack of trust, but we also often witness miracles, and we draw closer to the one who has control over the wind and the waves. Jesus asked, do you still have no faith? The word have here in the Greek isn't about possession. This is a great word study if you haven't looked at this before. The word in the Greek is a word to describe a deeper bond, it's actually the type of word used in a marriage vow when we have to say have and hold from this day forward. That have and hold. It's, 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 it's more intimate. It's more like I've set my heart to be this way. I've set my heart to make this vow kind of, of way. Do, do you still have no faith? It's to lovingly possess something, to give the deep part of our heart to something Well, do you give yourself to God to have and to hold from this day forward? Because that's what's being asked here. Do you you still have no faith? Is this the way you're treating it, right? Right? Will you believe in Jesus to the point of committing yourself to trusting him, even when it's hard, when it seems like he is silent, when it seems like he is absent? Will you give yourself to him and trust him fully? Will you stay committed even when he appears to be sleeping? Will you believe the words that come out of his mouth? Maybe this is why later on he teaches about counting the cost of discipleship about how you really need to think about saying yes and I do before just saying yes, right? Because maybe the adventure that, that, that he wants to take you on is going to be hard and tough, and you need that vow. You need that to have and to hold vow right there with faith that you have set in your heart, you have determined in your mind to carry it out and finish it. Maybe the adventure for some of you is going to be treacherous and difficult and what's going to be needed through the storms of your life is going to be a greater trust in God than most people possess. The Bible says that disciples were absolutely terrified and yet amazed at the same time. I can't help but think that uh, that really sums up the Christian walk at times. Amazingly terrifying or terrifyingly amazing. It's one or the other depending on your point of view. I started talking uh, uh, and being transparent about my personal walk in this area, and it can sound like I a, 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 a walked this road a little easier than I should, but that isn't the case. When I, uh, when I embarked on this journey to return to the Lord, uh, it's been an entire walk of faith. The whole thing has been. Uh, I, and I've had to face so many fears. And I'm doing something to which I've never done before. I've never done anything like this um, it's, 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 it's out of my wheelhouse of gifts in a way, uh, and I definitely haven't been taught or trained to do the things I'm doing. Now, mind you, I've been taught and trained to grow a church. I have been taught and trained to plant a church. I have been taught and trained about but I'm not trying to use the gifts that I learned there, lest I build it with my own hands, and then what good is this thing? By the way, one of the ugliest statistics that I heard this past week was that how uh, most megachurches don't last longer than 15 years. Crazy. By the way, you know why that is? Because they built it with their own hands, not with God's. What? You mean you can grow a whole church with your own giftings? Absolutely. Listen, anything built on God's hands does not fall. Does not fall. God might tear it down and build something else for it, but God's planted so many seeds, the church will never die. But not all the church is the church. Not all these buildings are the church. There's too many men who have built their things off their own giftings, and that stuff goes by the wayside. So I've stepped out of my wheelhouse with all this thing. I'm not building upon the gifts that I have. I'm not going to. There's things that God has convicted me of. He's worked on me about my ego. He's worked upon me about the pride of my gifting. The the ability that I have, which is a gift, by the way. Like I say Reese has it too. Reese has not scared to talk to you at all. How many of you already know that? Like Reese will come up and have a conversation with you and is not scared to talk to you. There's not a shy bone in that girl's body. By the way, that's a gift of God. We call those, uh, uh, what do we call those, like people who just talk a lot or, you know, what's up? Well, we could call them extra. That's the nice thing. We never say nice things, though. We always say stuff like, you know, you talk a lot or you got a big mouth or, you know, you got the gift of gab. That's what we say, the gift of gab. By the way, it is a gift. It is a gift. You know what it allows me to do? Walk up to people and witness the gospel that I don't know. How hard is that, by the way? Really, really hard really hard. I've been, t- I've been talking and teaching people how to witness to people for a long time and how to tell people about Jesus for a long time, but it's a struggle for most people. Why is it? Oh, it's not a struggle for you because you're a pastor. Well, I'm a pastor mainly because God's given me a gift. It's not of my own doing. I was born this way. I can't remember a time that I didn't talk this much. I, I'm literally, they would come back to my parents and honestly ask this, Miss Corsi, do you let him talk at home? Because he doesn't shut up here. Well, And you know what I think is irony, and I still say this today, that I still think the world saw that, and the world can't stand it. The world couldn't stand it. It tried to beat it out of me, make me submit, but God used it for his glory. You have purpose, and you have a gift in you, and God's trying to use it for his glory. And other people will come along, and the devil in the world will come along and try to tell you that it's not a gift. it's It's a hindrance on your life, but I'm telling you, it's a gift from God. It just needs to be worked out just needs to be worked out why am i have the gift of gab that has not going to help me build what god wants to build because one thing i do know is it's going to take you and you're not here to build what i want to build we're here to help marble falls we're here to help those who can't help themselves we're here to reach people period with the good news of jesus christ I can't be any more clear than what we exist to do. We exist to love God first and foremost and give God all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Secondly, we exist to love people in the same way that we love God. Why? Because we love God. That's why we love people that much, because we love God. And we're going to give our lives for others. That's what we're going to do here. The Lord's been dealing with me on things. My ego, self-culture, pastoral ministry, the church can't be just all the looking outwards. I have to look inward into my own recesses, my own heart. I have to keep asking myself, what does the Bible teach? I know what I've heard. I know what I've learned from other pastors, but what does the Bible say? By the way, I'm not sure we do that a lot. We say say it a lot, but I'm not sure we do that a lot. It's becoming deeply... I I am becoming deeply convicted about the works of pastors and churches concerning giving and praying and fasting. I've had to really question how much I trust God to the point that I'm pretty convinced that I struggle to hand him the very thing that's his, the church. I'm constantly asking him how he plans to get his message out. By the way, this whole Matthew 6 thing that we've talked about in here where when we give, we're not going to be braggadocious. I'm not going to like sit there and show off on social media about how many people get saved, how many people were baptized, how many kids we dedicate. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be braggadocious and bang my trumpets or or sound my trumpets and bang my cymbals like the scripture says and then want everybody to look at me and us gain the reputation because of how much we talk. I want God to do that because it says that if we trust God with those things, If we can trust God with those things, there will be an eternal reward. And so, what what I'm giving up here is a earthly reputation in the effort of having an eternal reward. By the way, it will be worth it. Why? Because I trust God. Because He said it will. He said it will. Can I tell you though? It's still hard, and I scream back at God. Well, then, God, how are we going to get the message out? How are we going to do this? I'm constantly asking him on that whole thing, man. I'm nagging him all the time on what to preach and pray for. And I'm pretty sure that I would have been the disciple on the boat that never would have allowed Jesus to sleep in the first place because I'd have been too worried about everything I didn't know that was on the other side. God, where are we going? Why do you need to know everything? Because I do. Because I don't know what's on the other side. Following you ain't always easy. Just being honest. I need to know what's on the other side. Why does that mean you're not coming with me? No, I'm coming. I'm just not begrudgingly coming. Oh, I'm only speaking to myself this morning. The future's always worried me. It's unknown and it's veiled from us all. Isn't this why most of us live paralyzed lives waiting on God to tell us what to do rather than just going and doing Next time I hear somebody say, man, well, I'm just, as soon as I find out God's call for my life, I can tell you right now what God's call for your life. Go tell other people about Jesus. I don't got to guess that. That's in the Bible. Get out and do it. Guess what? You know what you're going to find along the way? Maybe that thing, the exact same thing you're looking for. But first of all, it's not going to happen if you're just going to sit and wait. Sitting and waiting is not going to win the kingdom. Going and doing is going to win the kingdom. Jesus said, count the cost. Oh, there will be cost. There will be storms, by the way. There will be storms. One of the greatest things I think I also heard there at the conference was this. And he goes, Jesus, Jesus and God, or God, purposely, purposely withhold details from you. Because if he did, if he told you everything, you might not go. That's the truth. I, I, I was praying last night thinking, thank you for everything you've never told me. Because I'm not sure I would have came to Marble Falls if you told me 10 months later everything was going to start crashing down. That I was going to be placed in a moment where I didn't know anybody, moved my family to a place I didn't know either, and all of a sudden everything was, felt like it was going to abandon us. I'm like, I ain't going. That's a dumb. I ain't about to do that. There's no intelligence in that thing. But by God's design, he withheld that information to his glory, and I've got to enjoy some of the best years of my life so far. Praise God he withheld from me. Praise God he shadows information from me. Praise God he puts me through storms. Because if I didn't go through storms, I wouldn't find out what I really am made of. And you know what? It's not great all the time. I have to see sides of myself I don't like. And I'm forced to deal with it because I am a pastor. And I'm committed to being transparent in front of you. Which means that at some point it's going to come out here. I had a pastor ask me this past weekend. Here's my biggest concern, Pastor Jim. He said... I'm scared that if I'm as transparent as you are, won't people leave once they see how I am at times? And I said, absolutely. But here's, here's what you're doing right now. You're being a hypocrite. You're telling them to live in the light, and you're not. And so what you, what, here, before you complain that you have hypocrites in your church, just remember you are one. You can only make what you are can only make what you are you can't make somebody what you're not and i said so when you're upset about how the people in your church are remember they a reflection of you and if you're going to continue to have one life that's here and one life in the pulpit just know so are they and we keep going through this cycle over and over of church where we have people who are here who talk about freedom with their lips but never live it because you've got a mask that you wear here and you've got a mask that you wear at home. And those things look like different faces. Never free, never free. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? I mean, that's what the storm's about. Do you trust him? He ain't even said where you're going. Matter of fact, he's so unconcerned about where he's going, he's sleeping on a pillow. Why? Because wherever we end up is right where we'll need to be. You know what I love? Jesus is a whole lot less of a planner than we are. I hear so much work and talk about from leaderships about being intentionality. Jesus would be like, eh, where we end up? I got to go other places. Where? I don't know. I'm just going to take off walking this way. We'll hit a few of these cities, make a circle or something. Man, when you look at the read the book of Acts, it's, I mean, Philip is just preaching in a town. And then all of a sudden, God says, hey, I need you to go talk to this guy in Ethiopia. Okay. There's nothing intentional about that. There's nothing intentional. He didn't mean to. God said to do it out of nowhere. Paul's like going to Damascus to kill folks. Jesus says, not today. I need you to go here. And I love Ananias. Ananias like, I don't want to come here. Well, this is the way it's going to be, Ananias. Okay. I mean, like, like, there's so much spontaneity in God that makes me love him more than I love pastoral ministry. Because there's so much intentional stuff in pastoral ministry. All about planning and all about this stuff. But God is so like, this is what I want to do now. Okay. Well, we've, been we've been in the woods for 40 years. Time to go to the promise. Okay. I mean, it's been cyclical, God. We've been just going in circles for a long time. You sure you want to make one more? No, it's good right now. I just declare this is the time. Okay. God, anytime you want to let me in on your plan? Nope. Nope, I don't. But when I say to go do it, I just want you to do it. Can you do that for me? Nope. That's being honest, guys. Nope. Because you know why? It didn't go through the committee. Just saying, just saying. Should have gone through the, God, we have a process here. You need to go through the committee. You need to to submit a budget. He's like, I own a cattle on thousand hills. Prove it. Prove it. I want to see your bank statements. But I mean, like literally, very little do we really try to, we struggle with faith so hard to believe and trust God. So do you trust God? If not, why not? If so, how so? I know this, that if you're struggling with trusting God this morning, then this altars for you this morning when we get ready to do worship. Let's bring them in. And while we might begin worship this morning with a few songs, this is really your moment to go and ask him there for help. Like, Lord, help me trust you like my wife is like all the time. Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Help me with the things I struggle with, God, so that when storms do come, I quit this whole Anxiety thing. I quit worrying and I could just count on you no matter how bad it gets, Lord. And I can't, Lord, I want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that whether you take us, whether we go in the fire or come out, it doesn't matter. Whether I die or whether I live, I like Paul, it doesn't matter. I will serve the Lord. I'll be faithful. I will trust you with my life. And if you see, if you want to take it, then i live in eternity with you. I love uh, the uh, guy from, uh, um, I can't remember his name. He he is a, a, a chaplain now. Uh, With the Rangers, who was in uh, Somalia. And when he was in Somalia and he was having to go back in and rescue about 14 more people, uh, he was scared. He was like, This is the time I'm going to die. And God moved on him as he began to pray. And God said to him through the power of the Holy Spirit, It says, Son, I'm going to tell you something right now. Whether you live today and rescue 14 more, the day is coming when you'll come home to me. Or whether you die out there today, that's the day you'll come home to me. But either way, whether it's you go home to your wife or you come home to me, you are going home trust the Lord trust the Lord by the way he has already said the marriage vow to you to have to have and hold forever to have and hold you forever so what's your response this morning I mean you look at those greek words man and what they say we just don't get a clue sometimes of really the depth of what jesus is trying to say our, our language is so poor but to have god not just he takes ownership of you and i don't mean like a slave or taskmaster i mean like a husband Man, i want what's best for you because i love you trust me if I am the husband and I am the head, trust me that we will get to where I say we will get. Trust me with the directions. I know you can't, any other man, bad with directions, but Jesus is not. All right? Jesus is not. Jesus knows where he wants us to go. And listen, it's all going to be fine. He's, he's got us. It's all going to be good. Let's, let's worship this morning. Our response in worship this morning will be how we trust the Lord.